The biggest reason we've seen the rise of telemedicine in the last few years is the, the real crisis that's going on in our primary care system here in Canada. There are many amazing things that our Canadian public health care system can do, but mm -hmm. we rank dead last in the developed world when it comes to timely access to primary care. You're listening to the Small Business Mastermind, a podcast created by Olympia Benefits to help small businesses juggle business, finance, health, and wellness. I'm your host, Morgan Berna. Have you heard the term telemedicine? Also known as virtual healthcare, it's the delivery of health and health-related services by digital technology, meaning it's a way to talk to doctors and nurses directly from your computer or cell phone. Explained by some as being the answer to the current strains on the medical system, telemedicine opens on-demand medical care up to anyone with internet access. On this episode, I chat with Steve Chamberlain from Dialogue all about telemedicine. We go over what exactly it is and what it can be used for, how it works for people with primary care physicians, privacy and data security, as well as how it fits into the business model of a small business. I ask him about common concerns people have with telemedicine and tips for successful implementation. So without further ado, let's jump right into this conversation. So hi, we've got Steve today. Thank you so much for being here, Steve. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Steve Chamberlain leads Western Canadian Business Development for Dialogue, the leading Canadian platform for virtual healthcare for employers. His career began in the tech world, leading a digital media startup to 25 times revenue growth, and he joined Dialogue after four years with Monster Canada as Director of Enterprise Solutions. Steve is intimately involved in the Calgary community as a member of Young Professionals in Energy and President of the AAISP Calgary Chapter and he was a guest speaker at both the 2016 and 2017 Global Petroleum shows. So today we're talking about telemedicine, and before we kind of jump into all the questions I've got, can you just let us know what telemedicine is? Yeah, so it's a broad term. I mean, you know, simply put, it's the ability to connect with uh, healthcare virtually, be it a, uh, a physician or, or a psychologist. I mean, the uh, telemedicine, uh, I mean, has kind of been in the, the public idea for about 100 years. Um, it mm -hmm. came, first came to province in about 1925. There was a, a, a guy by the name of Hugo Gernsback uh, who wrote in the Science and Innovation magazine about this device called a pterodactyl. Um, that he envisioned in the future of, of medicine, where okay. uh, it was it was essentially a way for doctors to see their patients through a view screen, but they'd be also be able to touch them with like this this device with spindly robot arms. I think I've seen something about this. Yeah, yeah. it's so. I mean, I'll check with our R and D department, but I think you know telemedicine has kind of moved away from that. Um, but telemedicine has really you know grown grown in prominence uh, here in Canada in the last three to five years. Mm -hmm. And it's different than telehealth, right? You know, the, the terms, I, I mean, there's a lot of terms, whether it be virtual healthcare, telemedicine, telehealth, they really all broadly uh, relate to the same topic. Okay. How does it work? Each platform works differently, um, but with our platform, a patient can uh, log on to either an app or uh, via desktop. Uh, and they're able to go through a brief triage process and then they're connected with a practitioner, be it a physician or a nurse practitioner or a uh, care coordinator. Um, they're able to consult for a medical issue um, and they're able to 
be directed, uh, navigated through the uh, physical healthcare system as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been trying it out just to make sure that I understood how it all works. So for listeners out there, I just downloaded an app on my phone, logged in, and then you start a chat. Yeah, and there's kind of initially you talk to an AI um, system where it kind of just asks you, is this a new problem? Yeah, just some background questions about yeah. what are you here for? How bad's the pain? How long yeah. has it been affecting you? And then, then it'll get into some more specific questions, you know, based on your answers. So if it's for something with your, you know, if it's an eye issue, it'll ask, you know, is it watery? Is it runny? Is it itchy? Mm-hmm. And really the, the idea behind the triage process is uh, it, it's a way to kind of more standard, uh, more effectively triage patients in a standard and safe way, mm-hmm. um, but really not to cut a pr- human practitioner out of the loop. It's really no. to, to enable them to have all the information they need when they do get on that call for, for a more effective consultation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I was connected with a real person within maybe like five little messages, quick questions. It yeah. really wasn't too much at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you get connected with someone, you start chatting, and then you can either chat through like texting on the app or on your desktop, or you can actually do a call or a video? That's right. Yeah, via chat, via phone, or via video. So Mm -hmm. for some consultations, I mean, the scope of practice uh, for the physician is obviously the biggest when they can um, physically see the patient. Um, They can make that that, that, um, medical assessment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they're able to um, make an assessment. They're able to um, uh, prescribe if necessary. They're able to give specialists referrals. Uh, really, the it, it, it the, the full scope of practice of telemedicine is about up to seventy percent of all frontline care that can actually be managed virtually. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I think we all know those times we've gone to the doctor and we we know we just need an X-ray form or something, and this is a pretty quick way to do it. So I know for me, I went through, I chatted with someone, um, we did a video call that was really nice. I actually found I talked longer with uh, the person I was chatting with than I would with my like primary care doctor. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, 80% of Canadians said the last time they went to see a family doctor, uh, that visit was less than 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. And for 40%, it was less than 10. I mean, if you're, if you're going to an urgent care facility, typically, uh, you know, your, your consultation is limited to 15 minutes. It's limited to one issue. We don't really have those limitations on our, on our platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I chatted with someone, and then afterwards I was given, like, a follow-up plan. Yeah. Um, which was nice. And then it's kind of nice too to have it in writing there on the app. So if you forget, I know some people get like anxiety going to the doctors or you might just kind of blank on what they told you. Yeah. (laughs) Even just having, you know, a a record of your chat, uh, every patient gets a care plan afterwards, which details, you know, the the summary of the call and what to expect in terms of follow-ups and how to apply any medication. And, um, just being able to go back and review that can be quite helpful because I think we've, (laughs) we've all had that experience of walking out of the doctor's office and, (laughs) and then trying to remember exactly what they said. Oh yeah. Like I didn't pay attention at all. Yeah. (laughs) I was just focused on trying to remember what to tell the doctor. I usually Mm -hmm. go in with like a big list or. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and further to that, um, I think part of the, part of the advantage of the triage process that we've set up is that, uh, when you go to a walk-in clinic, typically in that 15 minute consult, probably the first like eight to 10 minutes are, is that doctor or, or nurse triaging you? That's true. Yeah. Um, then typically you'll get, you know, two to five minutes for a consult. You got two minutes for questions and then you're out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so by having that triage process, spending two to three minutes up front, answering a couple of background questions, it really enables more effective consultations with the, with the practitioner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, 
if you need to go back, like if you need to chat further, you can also go back to that original chat and just add in more messages, correct? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So if you kind of need a follow-up. And then it's nice, too, if you're at work because you can, like, send a chat and then just wait for a reply like you would a text for something. Yeah, exactly. You don't, you're not in a, in, you're not in a waiting room. You can put your phone down. You'll get a notification when, mm-hmm. uh, when a, I don't, a practitioner responds to you. So it's a really convenient way to you know, access healthcare on your own time. Yeah. One thing that I wasn't sure of is when you do the, like the triage process, mm-hmm. you're not always immediately connected with like a nurse or a doctor, right? There can sometimes be like you set up an appointment for another day. Yeah, typically most most patients like to consult uh, on on a time that's convenient for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if you want to be seen right away, typically our patients are being seen within minutes. Okay. Um, but a, a ton of patients uh, would rather set up an appointment, whether it's on their lunch break uh, or after work or or when at home, um, you know, after the kids have already gone to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really does vary. Yeah we're talking about how you go on a video call and stuff and chat with someone. Who are we actually chatting with when we're on that call? You're talking to Canadian physicians, nurse practitioners, nurse clinicians, and care coordinators. So mm-hmm. um, that dialogue is licensed in all 10 provinces and three territories. So each, each province has its own licensing requirements. Uh, so if you're in Alberta, uh, you're speaking to a physician who's licensed to practice in Alberta. Okay. And then is who you end up talking to sort of based on that triage process, like the severity of what you're talking about as well? Exactly. So the triage process, because we have a, a multidisciplinary team of all those those different kinds of practitioners, the triage process is also going to be able to, to determine what's the best resource for you. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it is a physician or maybe it is a nurse practitioner because nurse practitioners have more experience in, in particular um in particular illnesses. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, and if it's something that uh, falls outside of the scope of practice of virtual care, then you would be directed to a care coordinator um, who would help you navigate the physical healthcare system. Mm -hmm. So just because you're not Mm -hmm. being able to be treated on the platform, it doesn't mean we can't help you find a local health resource. So sending you information about like a clinic you could go to or? Yeah, exactly. It might be a walk-in clinic um, with, you know, when for, for my own from my own personal experience, I mean, when I logged on, um, it was for an elbow infection. It needed it needed something, uh, you know. It needed a physical consultation, and um, you know the care coordinator provided me with five walk-in clinics uh, closest to my house with the estimated wait time of each. And she actually oh, nice. she actually went above and beyond and called ahead um, to the one that was closest to my house to verify that the, their information was was correct and that I could get in to be seen within uh, a few minutes. Nice, and can. Um, you be prescribed, or I guess maybe prescribed is not the right word, but can you be referred to things like an x-ray or um, like labs? Yep. Lab work, blood tests. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. This to me is very exciting because I grew up in British Columbia Mm -hmm. and in British Columbia, it is so hard to get a doctor. I had such a, a difficult time. I don't think I had a family doctor since I was a little kid. So to me, this was quite an interesting thing to hear about, to have that option because I would often spend my lunch break going to a walk-in clinic if I ever needed to or having to go to the hospital for something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you had mentioned a stat once to me about how many Canadians don't have or the lack of physicians in Canada. Yeah, so that, that really relates to why telemedicine has become so prominent in the last three to five years. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the first reason is really relates to mobile technology. I mean, 85 
86% of Canadians have smartphones now. Mm -hmm. um, most others have um, a desktop with a camera with a camera function. So people have access to the technology to be able to access healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, the second is kind of a, the, the expectations around mobile technology. I mean, healthcare is is kind of an outlier when it comes to the things we um, we get. Uh, from our mobile experiences, yeah. uh, whether they be shopping or transportation or, uh, or uh, banking or communication. Um, healthcare, healthcare really has not uh, entered that space for many Canadians. The biggest reason we've seen the rise of telemedicine in the last few years is the, the real crisis that's going on in our primary care system here in Canada. There are many amazing things that our Canadian public health care system can do, but mm -hmm. we rank dead last in the developed world when it comes to timely access to primary care. So the stat you're referring to, 57% of Canadians can't get a same or a next day appointment with their family physician. Mm -hmm. And if you can't get in to see your family doctor and you're, you're sick or one of your kids are sick, you've got a couple of options, right? Your first option is to ignore the problem. Yeah. And hope it goes away, um, which you're probably less likely to do if it's for a sick child. Uh, the second is to um, Google your symptoms, which is typically a surefire way of freaking yourself out because Dr. Yes. Google always seems to uh, come up with the worst case scenario for anything. Um, but the third option um, is uh, going to a walk-in clinic or the emergency room. And a full 40% of Canadians said the last time they went to an emergency room, it was actually to treat something that their family doctor could have treated if they oh, were yeah. available. Yep. So we've put this enormous burden on the urgent care system in Canada that it's just frankly not equipped to handle. So I'm sure you and, and a lot of the, the, the folks listening have their own personal horror stories about sitting in, that, in a waiting room for hours. It's kind of that uniquely Canadian experience. Yeah. But the net effect of that is just we've, we almost limit our health care by the amount of health care the system can provide, which is backwards, right? We should be providing to towards a system that caters to the needs of patients first and ultimately encourages us all to be proactive about our health. And that really, I think, is where telemedicine can make the, the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. Well, I know so many people were, and myself included, I would go to a walk-in get some sort of test done for whatever my issue at the time was. And then if that came back negative, you just never hear back again. Yep. And then your choice is to either go wait again mm -hmm. or to just be like, all right, I guess I'm just going to deal with this now. <laughs> right. And then on the other spectrum, if you do, if you are lucky to have a family physician, I know very few people who get like a follow-up. Again, same thing. If you get a test back that's negative, it doesn't necessarily mean the issue's gone. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I found with this, trying out dialogue here, I got like a, a message a couple of days later just being like, how are you doing? And I was like, oh, actually, like this is still yeah. bothering me. Like, yeah, I just decided that was my life now. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, th that's a really great point. And I th think we may all uh, have all had the experience as well of being called back to a doctor's appointment just to be told everything's fine. Mm hmm. Um, I mean, I, I had a circumstance where, you know, I had a, my yearly physical uh, and my family doctor's half an, away, half an hour away from my house. I yeah. had to set up an appointment two days later. Um, he called me. They, they couldn't discuss results on the phone. I had to go back in. Yes. Um, so, you know, it spent two days just waiting. You know, there was something on my physical that was a red flag. Yeah. I went back in and, you know, my cholesterol was like one point higher than it should have been. <laughs> so <laughs> I had that exact same experience because uh, I live here in Calgary, too, and I got a doctor when I moved here, but it is like a half hour away. Right. And I had an x-ray once and I got called back. So there I am all worried that I have a broken bone. 
and yeah, it was just to say that it was fine. Yeah, it's it's just it's a it's an inefficient way of delivering healthcare, mm -hmm. um, and the, the reality is is there is a better way of delivering it today. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the types of things telemedicine can be used for. I know it can be used for physical health. Uh, maybe you can give us some kind of tips there, ideas there. But then it can also, I think, be used for mental health as that, well. That's right. So the scope of practice with virtual care is very broad, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's ear, nose, and throat, uh, flu, sexual health, uh, dermatology, healthcare navigation. Mental health is actually a really interesting one because um, we didn't design Dialogue as a mental health platform, but what we found is that up to 40%, uh, depending on the day, up to 40% of our practitioners' time is dedicated to mental health issues. Oh, really? Yeah, and there's there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, the first is just that mental health issues just naturally take more time um, yeah. than physical health care issues. Um, that's why that continuity of care when you're speaking to someone, you're getting those proactive follow-ups is so important. Mm -hmm. But it also, the, the broader point is that you know, telemedicine and dialogue really enable people to have such a, a, like a safe and convenient and anonymous way of accessing mental health support. I mean, especially yes. for employees who have not sought out mental health treatment in the past, it, it can be a daunting experience to, you know, especially if you're booking time off work, to go see a psychologist or book a psychologist appointment and wait four to six months to see one. Yeah. Um, whereas with dialogue, you could just log on, you can chat uh, with a practitioner, even if it's something as simple as, hey, I, I haven't been feeling like myself the last few days or I've been having trouble getting out of bed. Mm -hmm. It's just, it has been such a, an invaluable resource for so many uh, of our patients. What type of care is available for mental health there? Is it kind of to orient someone or to help someone get to an in-person psychologist or can there be like, is like therapy done through the app or anything like that? Uh, yeah. So some of our, our practitioners do have uh, training in CBT psychotherapy. Okay. Um, on the platform, we also do have available um, what we call allied health professionals, which includes psychologists. So the ability to connect with psychologists on the platform. Um, but really it is just about reducing the barriers of access to care and lowering the stigma to be able to reach out to someone and, and chat with someone about a mental health issue mm -hmm. uh, instead of uh, feeling like you have to deal with the problem by yourself. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like just in general, it can help you just be more proactive about different areas of your health. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I know it's, it's commonly used by companies implement telemedicine for their employees. Mm -hmm. So helping all the employees be more proactive about their health um, would that be one of the main benefits? Yeah, um, for for an employer, um, there's there's a there's a ton of different benefits. Um, you know, on it, it broadly fits into a, a wellness strategy. So yeah. encouraging employees to be fit and well uh, in their in their lives, um, which for an employer has the net effect of having an employee be more productive at work. Mm -hmm. Now, there's we we get a ton of feedback from our clients because we are a, a solely a, a business to business company, so we only yeah. work with employers. Um, and the kind of feedback uh, includes, you know, uh, reductions in absenteeism, so folks don't have to leave work or miss half a day of work to go to a medical appointment. Um, presenteeism, so the ability to, you know, actually get treatment when you need it and not be preoccupied at work if you've got an illness. Um, and presenteeism is when you still show up even though you're sick, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, maybe you're, you're not as productive because you're struggling with an illness at work that's mm. being untreated, um, or you're just preoccupied occupied, whether it, whether it may, may be a mental health condition yeah, okay. um, that, that's undiagnosed and it's affecting your day-to-day your -day at work. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned um, 
you know, your own experiences moving to a new place and, and oh, yeah. finding a family doctor. That's yep. something a lot of employers, you know, if they have an, an employee they've brought in from somewhere else, um, it's likely that employee is struggling to find a family doctor of their own. Um, for you know, employers that go through high stress, uh, have a lot of high stress situations in their workforce, uh, or especially employers who have a remote workforce. Um, oh yeah, that's so, a good point. So yeah. either remote employees or their their company is physically located in a more remote area outside mm-hmm. of a major city center where health cor- healthcare resources are already stretched. And it, you also can't really check in on your employee too. Exactly. Yeah. Is this intended to be? A supplement or a replacement for family doctors? It's a supplement. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely not intended to be a replacement for a family doctor. And it's not intended to keep employees chained to their desk either. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you're, if you're sick and you need a physical examination, absolutely, you should, you should visit your family doctor or urgent, or urgent care. Um, but it, it's the really, really the focus is being able to mo- respond more effectively to primary care. Uh, and be more proactive about your health. You know, when when we're sick now, we you know, as Canadians, we kind of make this like this time health judgment. Oh, uh, absolutely. You know, we're 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 sick, uh, but you know, we we recognize that uh, you know, if I if I go in and get physical treatment now, that's probably going to be two three hours out of my day. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll maybe I'll just wait till tomorrow, hope things improve, and and then I'll make that that judgment again. Yeah. So this this allows us to take that judgment out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, where we have, uh, you know, 24-7 access to practitioners. Uh, we don't have to leave our homes. We can do it right from the comfort of, of our homes using our smartphones or desktops. Mm-hmm. Um, really, there are no stupid questions when it comes to, to accessing telemedicine. If you've got a concern on your mind about your health, you, you have the ability to consult with our practitioner. There's no judgment involved. I think that's an interesting point about the time barrier there because for our neighbors down in America. Yeah. They have to think about the money. Can I afford to go do this? Exactly. But here we have to think, yeah, do I have the time to go do this? And for a lot of people, that is money too, like having to take the afternoon off work or having to to leave. Exactly. It's a more explicit cost uh, health uh, calculation that uh, the the folks in the the United States have to make. Mm -hmm. Uh, But up in Canada, because primary health care access is free. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a time health judgment. Yeah, absolutely. Are there areas of Canada where it's more heavily used that you guys see? It's it really depends because each province has its own unique challenges. Yeah. Um, so I mean, Victoria and Vancouver, for example, it's very tough to for, to find new family doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, Victoria used to have, uh, for example, they used to have a. Uh, um, this, you know, find a new family doctor service that was available on, on, a, on a website. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. And they actually took that down because, um, A, there were no family doctors available, uh, and B, the, the ones who were on the website just weren't being updated. Huh. Um, so it is really tough in, in uh, Quebec as well, um, where it's, it's incredibly tough to find a family doctor. Um, so there are a lot more people who rely on urgent care and walking clinics. Um, in the Prairie provinces, you know, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, um, the access issue is, um, is still there. Um, but especially in a place like Saskatchewan, it's, it's much more pronounced in rural areas yeah. um, where there's a big rural doctor shortage. Now, they've made a lot of improvements in that area over the last couple of years, but it still is a challenge. Mm-hmm. 
mental in Manitoba mental health funding relative to um, the Canadian uh, national average on mental health spending mm-hmm. is quite significantly lower. So Manitoba is experiencing this unique uh, mental health crisis. Okay. Um, yeah. Not to say that the, the the Canadian system as a whole is adequately funded from a mental health perspective. So it really does depend on on your different provinces where you live. Each province has its own unique uh, challenges. Mm. Who can use telemedicine? Like, who is it best for? So we we see, um, you know, from from our demographic info of folks who are using our service, we see a really wide range uh, when it comes to dra- uh, demographics, both uh, male and female, um, uh, geographically, um, age. Uh, one one area where we we do see a higher uptake is uh, folks with young families. Yeah, I was going to ask parents. Yeah, parents with young families with sick children, you're not going to take risks with uh, your child's health. Mm-hmm. So that you know, again, that time health judgment um, it, when it's your time versus your child's health, um, you're going to prioritize oh, yeah. your your Completely child's different. health. <laughs> and uh, you know, folks with young families are three times as likely to visit the emergency room in general here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where we see a, a, a big uptick. Mm-hmm. How does telemedicine benefit small businesses? Yeah, so it's really interesting. So as a company, we we do only work with employers. So we have experience working with a really wide range of of both industries and company sizes. So myself personally, I work with, uh, you know, companies as small as two to three, Mm -hmm. uh, all the way up to, you know, 20 to 25,000. And I think there's three primary reasons it works really well for small businesses. First is is, um, kind of the, the broader wellness strategy. So on one of your previous pro- uh, podcasts, Dr. Terry, you know, he had mentioned that, you know, to really get the benefits and apologies to Dr. Terry if I'm oversimplifying, but uh, really to get the benefits, you really need more of a comprehensive wellness program. Yes. Um, not, you know, picking out one or two individual models and hoping it makes it a bigger difference on the broader subset. But the re- I mean, the reality for a lot of small businesses is you know ideally we could offer everything to everyone, mm-hmm. um, but there are limited resources. So companies do have to make tough choices about what what's most effective for my business. And the appeal that we've heard about telemedicine is it really does you know apply to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an interesting stat um, that 71% of Canadian employees said they would actually trade off current benefits for improved access to practitioners. Oh wow! And, and the reason behind that is simply we all need access to primary care, whether it's for us or our children. Um, th- that's something all Canadians need, and all understand the the challenges that exist within the current system. So I think there's a, there's a really broad appeal to a large subset uh, of your employees. Yeah. Um, second reason is that we talked a bit about absenteeism and, and presenteeism and loss of productivity. And I think that's, that's really uh, multiplied when it comes to a small business, um, especially if, if, uh, you know, if a leader is affected. So, you know, in a large organization, uh, you know, if you've got a, you know, a team of uh, eight financial analysts and one has to miss a half day of work. Yeah. You know the impact on a twenty thousand person organization. You know it, it's going to affect that manager's life 
day to day, especially yeah. if they're working on a critical project. But you know, a, a large organization is is not going to go under um, because of of the missed work of one financial analyst on a team. But yeah. if that eight person team represents your whole company. Um, and it's a crit- you're working on a critical project and you know a critical part of that team is missing or is, um, is there but uh, spent all night up in the emergency room with a sick child only be to, to be told, hey, it's, it's actually just a flu. She just needs to sleep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, can, that can have a really dramatic effect on, on a business's um, short and long-term future. Oh, yeah. And, and the, final, the final piece of this is... Um, really when it comes to implementation and the network effects. So, you know, the mark of a successful virtual care project when we're implementing it with an employer is high utilization. Um, you know, if you're investing in a, in a program, you want people to use it as much as possible. That's how you're going to derive the benefit out of it. Um, so, you know, we enable organizations when they, they come on board with dialogue um, with, you know, a full implementation playbook, whether it's, you know, webinars, emails, email templates, um, really a, just this, this whole package of best practices. Uh, like uh, emails they can send out to their team to let them know how it works? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the broader challenge when implementing a, a project like uh, telemedicine is not you know, the actual tech implementation, that, that's really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the broader challenge is communication. It's a new benefit. Um, virtual care has a broad appeal. Uh, for example, the uh, Alberta Medical Association last year ran a study, uh, found that 83% of Albertans would be likely to use virtual care if it were available, but only a third knew anything about virtual care. So if you're introducing a virtual care benefit, it might sound good on paper, but if people don't know what it is, what its limitations are, what are the expectations around it, that can have negative consequences when people try to use it and maybe can't get, um, can't get the access they, they expect. Yeah. So um, beyond this, this playbook, really what we've found when we're implementing these projects is the projects that have most success have those internal champions. So the, the word of mouth is really important when it mm-hmm. comes to spreading. I mean, even in our own you know, personal lives, we're much more likely to uh, try a product if it gets a personal recommendation from someone we know and trust. Mm-hmm. So those those network effects and those that that word of mouth is really multiplied when you're in a small organization. So in a large organization, maybe you'll get these you know these different cells. Um, so for that team of eight financial analysts, if you know, if one person uses it, you know it's it's more likely that other members on their team are going to use it. Mm-hmm. For a small business, um, that's more likely that everyone in your company is going to uh, use it and take advantage of it. That's a good point because I think a lot of times companies offer employees things, mm-hmm. um, and I know personally I'll get that email that's really long or something. But if there's if there's just a one-time email and no no chat about it ever again or no follow-up or it's mentioned in my orientation and we never talk about it again. Um, it's really easy to completely forget about things that are offered to you. So exactly. being and able to have a communication plan is great. And there's there's ongoing communications. I mean, that's part of our communication strategy. But mm-hmm. again, the most effective the most effective method of communication was if you were going through that situation and you were planning on, you know, going to the going to a walk-in clinic and leaving at lunch, and you had a coworker say like, "Hey, you know, you, yeah, you actually remember. can access, yeah. you know, you can have a consultation virtually on your lunch break yeah. instead." Um, then you can still eat lunch. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, our physicians won't judge you if you're eating uh, <laughs> while you're while you're consult consulting. I want to go back for a sec to the second point that you just mentioned there, which was a little bit about leadership well-being. Yeah. So. 
you wouldn't have heard this yet because we don't have it live yet, but we've recorded an episode all about leadership well-being um, and how it's actually a risk mitigation strategy for companies. So that's going to come out just before uh, this episode does. And that's a good point. We've been talking a lot about employees so far, Mm -hmm. but for the actual business owner themselves, being able to take a little more take a little more control of their own health and being able to check in because yes the employees are busy and yes they need to leave at lunch but the business owners often even busier and health issues go just unresolved and then if that person gets an injury or an illness it's a huge detriment on the business yeah exactly I mean you know you you, you feel a lot of personal responsibility um, mm-hmm. to to be present and to be working and um and just even putting aside like the short-term consequences of maybe missing, you know, a half day of work. Um, one of the, one of the really exciting things about kind of the future of telemedicine is, you know, where are we in 10 years when more people have access to telemedicine? What Mm -hmm. are the long-term effects on things like chronic conditions or or long-term mental health conditions? When more people do have access to, to being proactive about their health, what kind of impact is that going to have Mm long-term on people's health? When there's a lot of conditions on the rise, like diabetes is getting huge and it's supposed to just keep growing over the next couple of years. Um, and I imagine being able to be a little more proactive, maybe people can catch symptoms of these chronic conditions a little earlier. Exactly. Yeah. Have you heard of any other uses of this outside of just the business owner and the employees? Yeah, one of the um, one of the really interesting things about dialogue is it's focused on family health. So it not only covers employees, but their spouses and dependent children as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really critical for you know a situation like we talked about before, with a young child is sick, um, but because they're dependent children, they may be also be covered when they you know go off to university. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're if, especially if they're moving away from home, they're in a new city. Um, they're in university, so healthcare uh, access and finding a primary care doctor might not be their first priority. Nope. Um, it, it, it can be really helpful to be able to log in, and obviously, as a as a dependent child uh, over the age of fourteen, they're going to have access to their own account where they can mm-hmm. manage their own healthcare independently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they'll also have access to the mental health component as well, which I think is quite big when you absolutely go off to university and everything's it's a big change. It is. I wanted to address some of the uh, common concerns I was seeing online. You can just let me know your thoughts on sure. these. So um, telemedicine took off quite quickly in the U.S. from kind of what I'm seeing. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. People there don't have um, the same type of healthcare system we do. But it's been a little bit slower in Canada. Um, do you have any ideas why that might be? Yeah. Um, in, in the U.S., so about about 85 to 90% of companies offer some sort of telemedicine solution yeah. in the U.S. Um, and it is, the U.S. is an employer-driven healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Um, so the telemedicine solutions that exist in the U.S. are still a fee-for-service, um, but because you can find efficiencies, they are cheaper. So that that's really the, the benefit for an employee instead of going to a physical walk-in clinic and paying $130 for a consult. Yeah. You can get a virtual consult and pay $45 or $75. Um, so it's been a kind of an easier model to integrate with in the U.S. Okay. Um, in Canada, because there still are costs associated with, you know, building a virtual care network, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are costs, there's costs associated with that. And, you know, the expectation in Canada is that primary care access should be free. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, whether it's, uh, 
a lack of response from government to integrate virtual healthcare into the public healthcare system. What we've seen, what we've seen is this really has been an employer-driven movement uh, when it comes to telemedicine, uh, yeah, where true. employers are sponsoring this like they would uh, an employer benefit, like they would mm-hmm. for you know massage or, or a, a chiropractor appointment. Yeah. Um, virtual healthcare has existed in, in that space mm-hmm. um, where employees and their families are, are still accessing it for no cost. Um, but the employer is able to derive enough benefit out of it that they're able to subsidize that cost. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing the numbers going up of people that are implementing this? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah in Canada, um, we're closer to about 10% of companies that have implemented this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've seen a dramatic rise, um, even just uh, just with our platform yeah. um, in the last uh, few years. Mm-hmm. What about people who have concerns using this platform because of privacy? I imagine that's one of the biggest Yeah, privacy. Yeah, absolutely. Privacy is a, a really critical um, priority for us um, because we are dealing with personal health information and ultimately we are a healthcare company first. Mm-hmm. Um, so this isn't like a Mark Zuckerberg, like move fast and break things type of industry. It's really critical that we, when we roll out a, a solution like this, we get it right the first time. Yeah. Um, so to that end, um, you know, I can, I can only speak for dialogue, but you know, we, we take it this very seriously and, you know, we have our, our SOC 2 compliance certificate, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, kind of a, a standard uh, that ensures data is managed safely, securely, and confidentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's then audited by a third party. So in our case, it was you know, PwC who made, made sure that we were in compliance of all those rigorous standards. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, our, our chief privacy officer is a medical doctor, which helps as well because, you know, he, he not only understands, you know, data security, but he understands medical security as well. Yeah. And, you know, the, the impacts of, for example, you know, not emailing patient information, not sharing patient information or identifiable patient information between different teams. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of rigorous protocols that we've been able to put in place to ensure that patients are, are safe and confidentially mm-hmm. uh, uh, treated on the platform. Yeah. So for an employee, their employer can't see anything they're submitting. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. With telemedicine, is it more difficult to develop an ongoing relationship with your practitioner? Do you, because you often get to see someone new each time or can you see the same doctor multiple times? Yeah. So when we were designing our, our care delivery model, um, so how we how we delivered care to patients. One of the really key things for us was to adhere to what the Canadian Medical Association recommended. Okay. Because we are a healthcare company first. So what the Canadian Medical uh, what the CMA recommends is a multidisciplinary continuity of care model mm-hmm. when it comes to delivering care, especially virtually. And what that means is not only do we have that multidisciplinary team of physicians and nurses and nurse practitioners and care coordinators, but they all work together as a team because a majority of them are em- actually employed directly by dialogue. Mm-hmm. And that's really critical because it means that a patient has that continuity of care right through their first episode. So this isn't like an Uber for doctors where you're when you know, you're <laughs> Where you're getting a, a different doctor every time. Yeah, you know you can request the same physician, and you always know that you're de- you're you're working with the same medical team. Mm-hmm. Um, the the simplest way to think about it, it's it's like a virtual community clinic. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And what about anybody who has concerns about getting an adequate assessment? Uh, people who 
really feel like they need that hands-on treatment. I know you mentioned that a lot of conditions can be treated virtually, about 70% you were saying. Mm -hmm. Um, But for that person who is maybe just a little anxious that they're not going to get yeah, adequate treatment, what would you say? Yeah, any patient who comes on our platform can be sure that if our if our practitioners, be it a physician or a nurse practitioner, doesn't feel like they can make a safe assessment virtually, mm-hmm. they won't. Mm-hmm. They're going to recommend uh, that the patient go in for a physical examination. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we are, we are at, our medical team is uh, cognizant of their limitations virtually. Yes. Um, and there's something called uh, gestalt. I'm probably mispronouncing that. It's a medical term of kind of the, the feel a doctor gets when they're they're uh, speaking with a patient. Oh, okay. So consulting virtually, you can you can uh, replicate a lot of that because you're seeing, you know, how the patient is reacting and what their physical motions are. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a complete replacement for um, physical touch uh, in, yeah. in some circumstances. So, again, if, if a practitioner doesn't feel like they can make a safe assessment or safe treatment, then they, they will not. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about implementation. Mm-hmm. In a business, so if a business is interested, how quick is this to implement? Is it difficult to implement? What does that process look like? The actual implementation is very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, it's typically a, either, it, it depends if, if uh, your client is working, if this client is working through Olympia benefits or not. Um, but if they're working through Olympia benefits, it's as simple as uh, speaking to Olympia benefits and having it added to your plan. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a business that's not aligned with Olympia benefits yet, um, you would work directly with us. Um, you'll have a, a, an agreement directly with us, and it's just a simple CSV upload um, into into a portal. It's a really simple process of your of your team of your team yeah, of your okay. for patients uh, or uh, employees' first name, last name, date of birth, yeah, okay. uh, and email address. That's great. That's, that's really all the information we need, and each employee has the ability to add their own family members. That's not something that you, as an employer, have to manage. Yeah. So yeah. once that's done, again, the challenge really comes down to communication, and that's mm-hmm. where you're, you'll be connected with a customer success manager who works on our team who's going to be able to provide you that full implementation and onboarding playbook to ensure that you have the resources necessary to roll it out for your team. Mm-hmm. That's nice. You don't have to worry about figuring all that out. I know you mentioned you have the communication plan. Do you have any other tips you would suggest to make sure that um, a business owner is getting the most out of their telemedicine account? Yeah, I, th- I think the important thing is just is just organizational buy-in of, of wellness in general. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding that a, an employee who feels well uh, and is proactive about their health is going to be a more productive employee. So just getting that general buy-in and building that c- the culture around those kind of ideas, mm-hmm. um, that, that's going to go a long way to being able to encourage this kind of use. Yeah. Um, and, really impl- and really being able to... Um, you know, connect it as, as over, as a broader strategy. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Instead of just adding this as, you know, a benefit that sits over here, Mm -hmm. you know, this connects to the wellness strategy in this way, this connects to our benefit strategy in this way, Mm -hmm. um, you know, enabling the, you know, where it's not, it's not a siloed benefit. It really is part of a a broader uh, cultural uh, piece of a company. Yeah. So right now this is, this is my last question for you. So right now in there we can do a, um, you can talk about your physical health, mental health. Where do you see this going? Are there going to be more, more elements of health added, uh, more features added? 
what's the future for telemedicine? That's a big question. Um, <laughs> yeah. What's your business strategy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the 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 big the big piece of the future of telemedicine is the scope of practice is only going to get bigger uh, as technology improves. So, for example, you know, can we get to a place where you know an Apple Watch can take a heart rate? Uh, measure that would be um, medically acceptable mm -hmm. um, for us as a company. It, it means you know diving into different areas of health where telemedicine can be applied. Be it uh, especially mental health, we've rolled out a new mental health platform. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, where do where can we see improvements in technology? I mean, we mentioned our triage process. The the results of that already we have taken. Um, you know, when we started out, we had you know kind of a, a nurse only triage where you'd be connected with a nurse. She would go through this triage process, and what they found was, you know, it took about twenty minutes. Um, to safely and standardize in, in a standardized way triage a patient. Yeah, um, we've reduced that time by eighty-five percent. Oh um, yeah, when I did that, it was like a couple minutes maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and we're working with one of the Montreal super hospitals right now as, on a pilot program to actually integrate our technology with their triage process. It's not just how how do we how do we take uh, an emergency room and and. and and have it exist virtually. Yeah. It's really about how can we leverage technology uh, and digital health to improve the processes. Mm -hmm. um, so triage and, and follow-ups are, are two of them. Um, incorporating electronic medical records uh, is another. Um, can we get into the business of predictive health? So if if uh, you know we know on a patient. Uh, on a patient's medical history, they have a history of respiratory diseases. You know, and we know that you know tomorrow it's going to be a, a, a muggy day outside. Can we send um. notifications to that patient, letting them know that you know they're at higher risk and they should prepare in this way? Yeah. Um, and, and you know, what are the effects on long-term chronic conditions, uh, be it mental health or, or physical health? And the final, the, just the big unknown is how, how, what part is government going to play in this? Because right now this is an yeah. employer-driven movement, but the government will be involved in, in some capacity at some point. Um, you know, right now, I mean, one of the, one of the most impactful changes they could make today um, would be through licensing. So the, the CMA just rec uh, released a, s a survey that said that 91% of physicians would support the implementation of national licensure. So that would mean, um, you know, a patient or a, a practitioner who is licensed to practice in Alberta could be licensed to practice right across the country, oh, which which great. not only would have benefits for telemedicine, mm -hmm. but it would have benefits for the whole medical uh, the community. So whether they're licensing changes, whether whether it's uh, a government investment in telemedicine, that's the that's the great unknown here in Canada. But mm -hmm. right now we found tremendous success within the employer market, and employers have really stepped up taking advantage of being able to provide better support for their yeah. employees' health. Yeah, so ultimately, just improving Canadian health. That's it, yeah. lowering, lowering the barriers of access to care. That's our, that's our mission at Dialogue, and so far we've seen tremendous results um, from being able to enable employees to get better access to healthcare. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Small Business Mastermind, and a special thank you to our guest, Steve Chamberlain. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. This will make sure you're notified when new episodes are posted. For our Apple Podcast listeners, I'd really appreciate if you took a moment to rate and review this podcast. It will not only help me see which topics and episodes you're loving, but it will also help other people find this podcast as well. 
We have new episodes on the way, so please stay tuned, and I will talk to you again very soon.